may not be your fault. In other words, nobody set you down and prepared you. No one took you under their wing. You didn't go through a program or a process in leadership development. Woe is me. Nobody prepared me to lead. Okay, fine. May not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks again for making us one of the top leadership uh, podcasts in the world. And uh, and most recently been sharing and, and, and celebrating the fact that you've also helped us to be one of the top 10% of all podcasts, whether leadership, business, or otherwise. Thanks again for sharing, for leaving those reviews, for letting other managers and leaders in your life know about the show and give them those practical human-centered leadership tips. And today we have got two guests, not one, two guests who are going to help us uh, with authenticity and leadership and a whole number of things. I'm very excited to get into their book, Wealth of Experience, uh, both experience and knowledge and education in our guest today. We're going to be talking with Sean Georges and John Buford, who are lifelong friends. They wrote a book together and they're still friends. We determined that before the show. (laughs) They are former Marine officers with a combined, get this, 80 years of leadership experience in military, business, nonprofit, and education. And they're the authors of the book we're talking about today, On Mission, Your Journey to Authentic Leadership. So just a little bit about them. John Buford's a PhD, served as a Marine Corps officer for over 20 years. Uh, The doctor is in education, performance improvement specialization, and became a certified wilderness medicine instructor, college professor, and outdoor educator. That's a lot of fun things. Sean Georges is a Naval Academy graduate who served in the Marine Corps for 13 years, the bulk of them as a military lawyer. I immediately go a few good men. We don't have time to talk about that, but, (laughs) you know, for the past 22 years, he served as the senior vice president of human resources and general counsel for a publicly traded retailer with 380 stores and over 5,000 employees. Hopefully, listeners, you're getting a sense of the value you're going to get today from the experience and wisdom that Sean and John are going to bring to us. Gentlemen, thank you for being guests. Welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you, David. Honored, honored to be here. Uh, it's our pleasure. And there's so much to pull out of this book. And I know we're not going to get to it all. I'm already disappointed about that, but we're going to do the best we can. Before we hop into the book, I, I have to ask you this, so we can learn just a little bit more about you. Uh, and I am going to direct this one. Let me uh, have John go first. Uh, I'm asking you both for your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Go as far back as, as you can, your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Wow, thank you. Uh, the the low-hanging fruit, I, w- I guess I would go to my uh, entry in the Marine Corps, but when you said that, I, I, I really have to go back to probably uh, good old Boy Scouts. Uh, Boy Scouts, and then shortly after, uh, you know, uh, school sports. Uh, Boy Scouts was a great opportunity for a young person to uh, recognize their role on a team and, and be in real, real mock leadership positions. Um, that's, I'm, it's wonderful you asked that question because I hadn't really thought of it from that perspective before, but I bet you, if you, if you follow the roots of the tree down for me, uh, they would go down to, uh, good old Boy Scout meetings and camperies and, and those type of things. Uh, definitely that. could probably spend some time mining some old, lessons back in, back in history books from that time. I love it, John. I was a, a Boy Scout as well and certainly have many of those uh, those powerful, powerful leadership learnings from them. Uh, Sean, how about you? Oh, absolutely. Great question. And uh, I, I think it also raises uh, uh, the, the reality and the perspective for leaders that uh, you know leadership can happen or not throughout our lives. Uh, I would probably reflecting back on it, uh, it would be having grown up in a pretty adverse uh, set of circumstances with two brothers and a mother who was in and out of a series of uh, marriages and at the same time had a focus on raising these three boys uh, in in a way that I think was pretty remarkable. And it, it was clear to me later in life that there was a lot of uh, 
leadership going on there, a lot of influencing uh, happening in a specific direction, trying to raise uh, three young men who could contribute uh, to society and 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 be respectful to others. So I think you know, in the midst of all of again uh, all of the crises and adversities, there was this constant in the chaos, which was my mother uh, trying to uh, uh, raise us. So that was probably the earliest example of what was possible. Mm, and seeing that that influence and the possibilities yeah. there. You know, and, and John, you're making the point about it. we can trace those roots back. It's one of my, I, I love, I ask every guest that question. And I just love how often the things that you both identified, those roots and those influences carry through all the way decades later in the leadership and, and some of the ways that we're leading. And, the, and we, ma- the fruit matures, the tree grows, and we, we learn those in a deeper way, but it's a, it's a powerful uh, conversation to have. Which uh, will get us into your book because so the name of the book is On Mission: Your Journey to Authentic Leadership. And right off the bat, uh, you two take a strong position, which I, I love. This gives us something to talk about. And I, I I was just eating this up as I was reading it. You take a firm position in the book that there are no born leaders. Mm. You know, a lot of people will hedge and go, "Ah, some leaders born, some are made, most are made." But you're like, no no born leaders. And you take it further and suggest that leaders aren't just made, they're mostly self-made. I want to start off our conversation by exploring that. Yeah, thanks. Um, I I think that when I look back at my leadership uh, journey, um, I can go to that, going back to the, the tree analogy, go back to those earlier roots and trace. And particularly when we got in the, the Marine Corps, we were blessed, Sean and I both being part of he and the Naval Academy and and, and, uh, and me in basic training and then on through college in the Marine Corps with a very intentional leadership development building blocks approach. You know, the military does a great job of that. And one of the conversations that Sean and I had uh, early on was just recognizing how many people are kind of out there in the wilderness, unless, you know, you could be in a big corporation or maybe law enforcement or other type of structured industries uh, where there's a more intentional approach. But a lot of folks are just, uh, you're on your own and, and it's the school of hard knocks. And, and there's uh, very few people that are, that are mentoring and intentionally building your, your kit uh, as a leader. And so it's not very efficient, right? It's very efficient in the military because you you go through step A and then B and then C and you can't go on to D until you complete step C. Um, and so uh, that that was that was part of what kind of came to us to summarize that that notion that there's there's no born leaders because we've seen them all shapes and sizes and colors and coming from different directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would add, David. Uh, the the first of all, they they haven't isolated the uh, the genetic uh, aspect of the leadership gene uh, that that has not been discovered yet. You know, I over over the course of of time, you you meet people. There's this whole you know charismatic. Uh, look at that person. That is a leader. Look at them. You know, follow them anywhere. Well. Uh, what you what you learn is that there there may be certain characteristics a person has uh, that may make you initially give them sort of the benefit of the doubt or or maybe a second look right uh, hey what what are they doing I may that looks like an example I want to f- follow but what you find is that it is the behavior that your is is drawing you in and it is their uh, and what you further find that in order for this to be real and uh, and and meaningful and and for it to to uh, really have uh, have legs, if you will, uh, someone's ability to lead, it has to do with things that are uh, relationship in nature, uh, and it's about how they relate to other human beings. It's about their commitment level internally. These are sort of social aspects of our being a human 
being in a uh, in a social structure that some people get and they embrace and they are able to walk around with and engage with or not so it's it's you know maybe the initial sort of look or is is to a something that you may have been born with or not uh you know height weight whatever ability to communicate things like that but what we have learned without question is that the authentic aspect of what causes us to follow another person's or to be influenced by another person has to do with with learned and practiced uh, behavior that usually centers around this thing that is hard to define called character and which shows itself uh, as we engage or doesn't yeah absolutely I, you know it's a, i just loved the fact that you took that stance up front uh, of this is how it is and you know there and if you think about it it's really true i mean because all of those elements that you're talking about the relationship the the, the skill development the the care all of that comes over time we're not just none of us pop out of the womb with any of that developed right. it, we got to do it over time and we may come out with a natural charisma or as you said height or something that might make somebody like how, how did you say it take a second look yeah it that's all of it attractive yeah, it might attract us, but that's not what leadership is. That's about. not leadership. And the idea of a, of a, of a born leader, I think, can, can really give people a, a, a false, you know, self-limiting belief. Like, I'm, yes. well, I, I can't be that guy or I can't act like her because I'm not he or she. Uh, when all these traits and, you know, research shows there are some leadership traits some personal qualities that are definitely help person lead and influence others, but they can all be learned and we can all change. Uh, we don't have to limit ourselves. And, uh, and that's so, so important, John, what you're saying. And this gets into to chapter three, which you title, it may not be your fault. Mm -hmm. And you go through a whole set of different, John, as you said, self-limiting beliefs that people can have. And it reminded me of uh, somebody who's been a, a mentor in my, my public speaking career. Uh, Craig Valentine is a former world champion of speaking uh, and he always says, you're always to something for someone. <laughs> and I, I love that. And you go through a number of these limiting beliefs and the fact that it may not be your fault. What do you mean by that? Because you're all about, and this comes through, it's a through line through the whole book. You're all about personal responsibility. So what does yeah. it may not be your fault in those self-limiting beliefs? What's that all about? Yeah. So the other, uh, I, I don't recall if there there should be a dot, dot, dot after that. There's even a dot, dot, dot in my notes. <laughs> exactly. May not be your fault. In other words, nobody set you down and prepared you. No one took them, took you under their wing. You didn't go through a, you know, a, a program or a process in leadership development. Woe is me. Nobody prepared me to lead. So it very well might not, or you've had terrible examples around you, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, fine. May not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. And that is the, the thing about leadership development, because I, John and I, in fact, one of the kind of moving reasons why we uh, went on this 10-year journey to write this book was because it was clear to us when we got into the outside world, into the civilian world, that no one was taking this developmental responsibility for others seriously. There was no unified or even partial effort to try to develop leadership in others. So it has to fall. The responsibility falls on you. And it comes from, and that's where we get the idea, and we'll probably get into this, the journey, the sense of a journey, a learning journey, where your life, whatever it is, it is and, and how it's shaped, et cetera. And you can mine the past, you can be aware in the present and you can shape the future, but it can be, be a learning set of experiences. And uh, that's why we kind of took that perspective. You know, when you're talking about authentic leadership there, uh, Sean, and, and for either of you, I'd be curious, I know how you define leadership in the book and you've got some, it's one of the things I appreciated about the way that you approach the topic. Uh, I'm curious, authentic, what does authentic mean? It's the title of your book. 
authentic leadership because it's one of these notions that's floating around out there. Mm. Um, and particularly after the, the pandemic, the, about the need for authenticity, transparency, vulnerability, and that leaders are more effective when they're tapping into and being those things and leading from those places. But it's also one of those words that's a little abstract for many people. Yeah. What do we mean by authentic? I'll, I'll, I'll hit that one, Sean. I appreciate you building on it. But I, I would go back to, uh, you know, we, I think we say in the book, uh, no more than the, the real deal, the real thing. Um, being an authentic leader, uh, I think goes back a lot to motive, like what is behind your leading? Um, there's certainly uh, many lists uh, of qualities of things a leader should do. You know, to be a good leader, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And those are all good. And those, those particularly can be useful uh, early in the developmental process when you're, when you're learning. But ultimately, it's the motive and the motive to serve others, um, to achieve more, to accomplish the mission, to better themselves, that should be the fundamental driver behind your leading. I say should be. Uh, it, it's, it really goes back to what's, what's behind your purpose and, and why you're leading. And if you have that right, mm -hmm. uh, to me, that, that is the ultimate uh, expression of authenticity. You're not doing it because you're supposed to do it this way. You're doing it because you want to do it this way and you want to serve this person or these people in direction of either accomplishing a mission, whatever that is, or in many cases in, in my life is, you know, a lot of my mission, particularly in the academic world and the outdoor leadership world, the mission has been the people, has developed the people. Right. There was no there was no bottom line on making money, uh, certainly passing tests and, uh, you know, imparting knowledge on the academic side. But the mission was the people was developing the people. And that, you know, to me, is, is really the heart of authenticity. One of the things that I'm hearing as you're talking, John, is there's a nuance there that authenticity, it's not a should. You're not leading from a should or an ought. You're leading from a core belief. And, and you're, you're also leading from um, a place, a, a perspective. You're leading from a, uh, that's why we talk about becoming a leader. It is literally in the way you, you are. Not that every room I walk into, I'm going to walk in there, oh, I'm in charge here. That's not leadership, you know. That, that may be uh, maybe what a leader does in a certain set of circumstances, but not in every room, in every relationship. It, it's a sense of responsibility. And, and one of the things, John and I spent a lot of time talking about this idea of authenticity and how important it was to us and, and to uh, leadership. Because one of the things that it does is uh, um, if, if leadership comes is relational rather than transactional in nature. Uh, leadership at its at its most real and and most effective, most impactful is uh, comes from humility, uh, and it it uh, comes from our humanity. It comes from our heart and our head and our hands. That's how it it works in in just uh, us as people. There's no puffery. We're not manipulating. Uh, it's those are the disconnects when you and people know it when you see this yeah. disconnective sort of behavior when you feel that you're being sort of managed or you're being manipulated or you know the carrot and the stick sort of approach to move you in a certain direction is not the real thing that's not the thing that makes people want to, you know, go reach deep inside or or go that extra mile or look out for their buddy to their right or their left or right. And it doesn't bring out the best in people. Um, it's that authenticity in relationship. And here's another thing. And this really gets to the concept of leading as a servant. If I am leading others as a servant in the direction of our shared mission. So I'm looking up at my teammates and I'm asking myself, what's my best and highest role to serve this person or this team in the direction of our shared mission? 
Well, guess what? My focus is on them in line with mission. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to be perfect. I don't, I can, I cannot know the answer, but I can throw the answer to the group and help us to find it. I, I mean, it changes everything. I don't have to pose. I don't have to puff. I don't have to, I can be a servant to others so that we can accomplish something. And that is one of the most, you know, fundamental elements of, uh, of what it means to be a leader. And when we get real practically here, you just used a metaphor that uh, it's such a powerful way to help leaders flip their thing. And it's a very practical thing that we can do. And that's to flip the org chart. And Sean, yeah. you were just talking about that. I'm looking up instead of looking down. And so elaborate on that for just a moment. If, if someone's not from somebody's listening and they're like, they've never heard this flip the org chart uh, idea before, uh, walk us through, what do you mean by flip the org chart and, and unpack a little bit that idea of looking up as opposed to looking down? Yeah, John. Do yeah, you I think, I, I think uh, focusing, uh, one of the questions that Sean and I posed and it became, became kind of a central question in the book is, is uh, a question that, that we advocate for asking of ourselves in every situation in which we engage with other people, which is what's my best and highest role in support of this person or these people in alignment with the mission. That puts the focus squarely on the people um, with whom you, you share this mission. Um, and it takes the focus uh, off, off of yourself. And I found this so much in my work in you know, leading wilderness expeditions, which is uh, it's a real thing, but it's a great metaphor for any interaction with people. Um, you know, a team with a mission with unknown outcomes is, is usually somewhat of a wilderness. But I've always tried to look at individuals and and try to create leaders, create, put them in a position where they can be better, faster, stronger, for lack of a better term, more capable, more committed. That whole flip the organizational chart upside down, although it's just a, you know, a little exercise, when you really look at it from that perspective, it is an absolute critical and eye-opening, eye-popping paradigm shift it really is and it's a game changer and it, and if you really look at it from that perspective um it informs how you interact with people on a day-to-day -day basis and so even though it's a very quick exercise and some people go oh yeah i get it now nah, i spend some time on this yeah. yeah it 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 is really a paradigm shift and an important paradigm shift you know, John, uh, along those lines, there's almost a physicality that comes. And, you know, when you're thinking mm -hmm. about leading, uh, kind of embodying, what does it mean to lead? And I love the idea of sort of, you know, feet, uh, kind of a, a wider stance, chest is expanded, your head is raised, your eyes are looking up at your teammates. So again, org charts up uh, is uh, turned upside down. It is a it is a position of strength, of awareness. Uh, your your attention is not you're not looking in the mirror, right? You're not looking down at you you know the regular org chart. I used to be in the org chart world, corporate America. We had to we had to create updated org charts every month. It was the most ridiculous. I so org org organization charts are about management. What we are focused on is our leadership responsibilities to our teammates. And that's where you just flip the world upside down. And it, so it's a position of stability, of flexibility, of power and support. And uh, your attention is, and your energy is focused. And it it is just a, so, I, so if somebody's trying to get a sense about what this all is, and we, we actually show a picture in the book where, you know, there's a typical org chart now. Here's what it looks like upside down. Uh, and, and also the stance, you know, kind of that stance of leadership, practice, you know, looking up at your people. When you look down at another human being, it changes kind of the social 
nature of what's happening. If you're looking up with respect, with love, you may have responsibilities towards that person, or they may be providing something to you, or together you're working as teammates, but it changes the game. I would I would quickly throw out just another perspective that helps me is I think that a, a really good leadership trait that we all know is people that uh, is leaders who take care of their people, right? Um, and I would I would use the analogy of you know taking care of your flock. Like I'm a good leader because I I, I dutifully go out to the defense line every day and I make sure they're fed and watered and I make sure the wolves aren't attacking them. Um, that's great, but when you do this this bottom-up approach that, that Sean described so well, it really changes everything from just taking care of your people as a herd, right, of doing all the things, but actually looking at them as your position from a position of your supporting them and what you can do to help make them better, more capable, uh, more committed. It is really an important paradigm shift. I love those those paradigm shifts. And this is the kind of thing, it is such a practical thing to do. And I appreciate, uh, John, as you were saying, uh, you know, to sit with it and actually, and then Sean, the way you're talking about em physically embodying it and what that support means. It's such a powerful, practical thing we can do. Now, John, you had an experience. And one of the things that I enjoy about the book, by the way, and I'm just going to call out a couple of these, because I, I think for our listeners that, that it would be meaningful for them. And we've all had these experiences, but John, you had an experience when you were first promoted to company commander that was uh, particularly valuable to you in this conversation that we're, we're having about uh, authenticity, support, and so forth. And I think it's applicable to everyone listening. Uh, would you mind recounting that first day for us? Sure. Not to get into the military aspects of it too much, but essentially I got promoted to a company commander. So I was then... Uh, held responsible, accountable for, in charge of, et cetera, you know, 100, 150 human beings. Uh, it's a big deal in, as a young Marine to be promoted to that. And it's something that you want, not, not from self-serving, but it's just something you, you built your whole career on getting there when you're a young officer. And I, I got promoted to company commander, got assigned to that position. And um, I went to my kind of new office and there's a you know, I had my own parking space that said company commander and the door said company commander and had a desk with a placard on it. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't too nice, but it was it was something else. And I remember being very proud of myself and um, my senior NCO, a first sergeant, who was my company first sergeant, who was to become he went on to be a very high regarded, high ranking sergeant major in the, in the Marine Corps. He was a very important mentor. He came in and, and said, hey, sir, uh, that's not your parking space. This isn't your office. That's not your desk. These aren't your Marines. They belong to the Marine Corps. Never forget that. He said it respectfully and turned around and walked out the door. And I remember <laughs> he said, you know, at first I was like, well, you know, what are you saying? But, boy, it did not take long for me to just realize what he was telling me in no uncertain terms is I wasn't these perks weren't perks to acknowledge my greatness. Uh, they were perks of the office. And, and what he was telling me was being a company commander wasn't saying, hey, you're a great guy. It's, hey, you have a higher responsibility to more people to serve them at a deeper level. And I, it wasn't a complete surprise to me. I wasn't, you know, but, but it really cemented to me that, that lesson. I never, I've never forgotten that. And anytime I, I strive anytime I'm in a leadership position or put in a situation where I have the opportunity to lead. I always think this is not about me. This is about the mission and what I can do to help my people, those teammates of mine uh, to accomplish the mission. And it's, it's a higher level responsibility. It's not, it's not, it's not, it was never about me. It's not about me. It's not about me tomorrow. So. And what, uh, so A, what a valuable lesson. I mean, incredible. And then B, what a valuable human being to have as a part of the team to have that first sergeant who was, saw what he saw and he saw a glimmer of something and wanted to say, hey, I want to address this. He, he was, he was leading me, right? He saw yep. an opportunity to take this young officer and, and 
thank goodness he perhaps saw some potential in me and took time out of his day to come in and develop me as a leader. Uh, he didn't do that to make himself feel good. Uh, he was, he was, uh, letting a young, young officer on his way, uh, learn something. Did it for you. And he did it for all the the people in your command. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And every day from then on, I felt guilty about parking that (laughs) park. Uh, that's, it's not your spot. It's just on loan. It's being trusted to you. Yeah. All right. We're talking with John Buford and Sean Georges. They're the author of On Mission, Your Journey to Authentic Leadership. And we've been talking about authenticity. We've been talking about flipping the org chart and what it means to truly support, empower, and and uh, and have a stance of looking up for your team. And uh, Sean, you had a uh, one of the stories that you share, you had a key team member uh, of yours, a, a key leader, a team leader, ask if you had a moment to talk. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and I love this story because she says you have a moment to talk you say yeah i do well then she doesn't really ask you to talk does she (laughs) tell us what happened you bet absolutely you know it's really interesting so relationships across our life we 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 can have a sense in fact she and i had had been she was one of my most important uh kind of kind of a, a department head uh for uh for the company and uh, she had her team and she supported every single human being that uh, that worked uh, at this retailer across the chain and I, I we had been working together for probably five plus years and I just felt that she wasn't letting me in there was sort of this kind of you know we we had a you know we had a, a friendly and professional relationship but there was just this sense we so i would talk to her from time to time hey i think we need to to talk and yeah, sure yeah whatever well one day she shows up at my door and i look up and she said would you like to talk and i said absolutely you know i do you know i would like to and she said all right she closed the door and she came in and she said, these are the rules. I need you to listen. I don't want you to say anything. I don't want you to comment on anything. I don't want you to fix anything, but I need you to listen to me. And for the next 45 minutes, and there were tears, some were mine, some were hers, but she she expressed the reality, the perspective of what she and her team were experiencing in, in that company. And I had I had to focus because I'm a fixer. I want to fix stuff that's broken. And I simply sat there with full focus and attention. And my best and highest role, as John and I call the servant leaders question, was clear. <laughs> Say nothing. Don't make any sudden movements. Focus and listen. And I heard her. She was done. She had been heard. And I said, request permission to speak. And she said, yes. I said, thank you. And we ended it. And it it changed everything. My listening, and she's right. I'm sure I would have interrupted her uh, 15 times during the to clarify and uh, propose solutions and I just would have screwed it up. She needed to be heard. She needed to to get it off her chest and help me to understand. And we until the day I retired had the best relationship. There was nothing, you know, standing sort of between us. We could tackle problems together and I understood. Now I had some work to do. She did tell me some things that were actionable. So, uh, but yeah, powerful. So you don't always have to know the answer to the question, what is my best and highest role? Sometimes uh, your teammates will tell you, sometimes you need to ask them, what do you need from me? How can I serve you? That's uh, wow. Another powerful example. And, and the book is full of these stories, listeners. So they have just highlighted a, a couple for you to, to get a flavor here. But really practical examples of different ways of, of approaching these things. And uh, Sean, I appreciate that story so much. Uh, and that you added the tag that your job in that moment was to listen and to understand. And then that did lead to follow. some action and follow through on certain things eventually. But what she really needed in that moment was understanding. 
Well, that's a good example of this question in practice, because it's one of the things I wanted to, to highlight and, and bring out is that another practical tool, and you've referenced it uh, together several times, this consistent question to determine your next step as a leader. What is my best and highest role in service to this person and team in alignment with our mission? So, Sean, you just gave us a, a practical example of maybe we don't know the answer to that question, and we're going to ask our team. I am curious if you could share for our listeners a couple of other practical examples of that question and how you or other leaders you have seen have answered that. John? I can, I can think of one from the one literally from the field. Uh, I had the great opportunity to uh, teach undergraduates for a decade and, and lead wilderness expeditions for uh, outward bound for a couple decades, still, still am. Um, a, a quick example, which which probably has happened uh, numerous times over the years, but I can think of a a student uh, on a wilderness expedition one time that um, we were in a very difficult, uh, environmentally difficult situation, uh, river crossing in the wintertime, multiple river crossings. Uh, she was the appointed leader of the day. We use mock leadership. I mean, of course, I was ultimately responsible for the group as the, as the instructor, but she was a leader of the day, and we got to camp, and um, everybody was borderline hypothermic, she and I included. Uh, it was okay. It was not unsafe. We had everything we needed with us, but um, she was uh, at her wit's end, understandably. She's probably 19 or 20 years old of I've got all these people who have these needs. They need to uh, get dry clothes on. They need to cook. They need to strike their tents. They need to go collect wood. They need to do all these things. And, and I'm not sure what to do. Uh, you know, you've been in this business a long time. Help me out here. Um, uh, the easy thing to do for me, and I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast resonate, the easiest thing to do is provide the answer, right? Here's what I would do, um, or here's what you should do, which may be just the thing in certain situations. Uh, this was not a life and death situation. It was a great opportunity for me to take an educator's role and a developmental role and help her, much like my first sergeant did, uh, in finding the answer within herself. Mm. Um, so in a supportive way, I did not answer her question, you know, but from a coaching perspective that everybody on this, in this venue is familiar with in a, co in a coaching perspective, um, ask the open-ended questions of her, what, what needs to be done what are the priorities? Um, and, and that changed. I, I still am in contact with that, that student, uh, very good friends. And she said over the years, how that, that situation opened her eyes to, what she had in her, like her, her ability to sort things out and mm. to turn and to serve her team. And so that's just one of so many similar experiences. That one, that one really uh, resonated with me. I'll never forget the, the aha moment for that young woman um, to be able to sort this, this thing out as a leader by herself. So there's, that's a, almost a double layer use of the question there, because on the one hand, in that moment as the leader of the group that you're responsible for, what is your best and highest role in service to the person and the mission and the team in alignment with the mission was to help her support her in finding her own answers and not just giving her an answer and right. discovering her own strength and confidence. But in some fashion, you did that by asking her the same question. Hey, what's right now your best and highest role in service to the people here and the, the team in service to the mission you're on? And so it had you had multiple layers of the question going on. Yeah, absolutely. You seeded in her that question and, and uh, hopefully ingrained in her that, that question, you know, in the future. Um, but of course, you know, as a leader, you do have... Uh, not to get off track here, but you do have ultimate responsibility. So when you're in a developmental mode or coaching mode, you, you don't, you know, delegation is a tricky thing, right? It's an important thing, but you don't, there's some things you can't delegate, you know, the responsibility. I was ultimately responsible to these young people's parents and the school and, you know, everything else. Uh, so 
I had to keep that in my line of sight too. I would not allow her to do something that would, or make a very bad decision that would ultimately put people in danger because, you know, I held that responsibility. But if, as long as I can do that and give her the elbow room to succeed or fail, uh, what a great opportunity. You know, Sean and I, towards the, one of the punctuation marks in the book is, is this idea there's no higher role, there's no greater purpose for a leader than to create other leaders. Because uh, ultimately, that's going to make your team stronger. And what a what the, what a great thing to do is to help another person find their voice as a leader. Absolutely. You know, when you're talking about delegation, the one of the, the phrases that I wrap my head around for that is delegation is not abdication. Mm-hmm. And Perfect. You know, so you're delegating, but within a bounded way that allows her to explore. And you're coaching her. You're not just throwing her to the the ice in the cold, right? Right. Absolutely. Sean, how about you? And this is a story about John, uh, uh, best and highest role. Uh, and and there were six words. John, John and I uh, do some cycling. We and I, John lives out in Western North Carolina, where there are these things called mountains. And I'm in Southern Indiana, where we have cornfields. And uh, so I took my bike out there. We went for this this long ride, and uh, we were about halfway through through the ride, about. 30 miles in and I was keeping up and I was feeling pretty good about myself. So John and I are riding along and we started coming up to this. uh, I I could sense that up and to our left to the North was a mountain and you could look up there and, and I'm thinking, well, maybe we're not, maybe we don't have to go up the mountain. Maybe there's another way around the mountain is I'm hoping. Well, we came up to this intersection and there was a sign and the sign said uh, words, the effect of, you know, you were about to uh, you're about to climb up to the top of the Eastern Continental Divide. Uh, it's uh, called Caesar's Head and and it's a climb of like, you know, two two thousand or three thousand feet over the next six miles. And, you know, uh, uh, uh you might want to think twice about it. And I'm pretty sure the sign had a skull and crossbones on it. Abandoned but, hope. All yeah, you exactly. All you who enter. And so John and I are sitting there on our bikes. We're about to make a turn, either up the mountain or maybe back. Yeah. And I'm reading the sign and I'm, I, I kind of felt him sort of, he kind of glanced over at me and I'm sure my, my uh, I had a look of shock and surprise. And John read read the whole thing that was happening. He knew I didn't do a lot of, you know, mountain biking kind of riding. And and he looked at me and he said six words that I will never forget. And he said, six miles, granny gear, follow me. And that was it. Wasn't a lot of discussion. He, you know, we made the turn and we started climbing and I followed the whole way up and he, through his example, uh, got us up there and then down the other side. And so, so it's sort of, sometimes, you know, the answer, right? Because you know, your people, I knew that, that, uh, John wasn't going to leave me on the mountain. I knew that there was no other way down than to go back I knew that he had a certain level of confidence in my physical ability. Uh, I felt like I was in good hands. John has a way of keeping things simple. Uh, that is just uh, one of his strengths. I love it. And those six words, I, I made it. If he hadn't been there, if he hadn't, his best and highest role in that situation was to lead from the front. That may also be your answer to the question. So uh, that we could spend a, a, a whole podcast or a whole nother book on the uh, leadership wisdom in six miles, granny, here, follow me, because there really are. I mean, there's a lot there. Six miles. Let's break it down. This is a right. great exactly. year. Here's how you do it. This is the exactly. gear you want to use. Very good. You're going to spin high rotate, high cycle rotation. And I will show you, you, exactly. you can have confidence. You're going to be okay. I mean, wow. Great Powerful. point. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. I love yeah, there are there are certainly I think that's the great thing about this best and highest role perspective is there there are so many roles and and you're not always going to get it right but there are definitely roles where uh, 
just get behind me and follow me. I'll show you the way. And other opportunities like the little vignette I just shared where your best and highest role is to step back um, and be in a, be a coach, uh, help, help develop, or you just may not know the answer and need to look at people and say, I have no idea what to do. Uh, what do y'all think? And, and uh, work it out together. So uh, a pretty wide range. And as you're listening to Sean and John share these experiences and these range of answers to that question, part of what I would encourage you to keep in mind, listeners, is the humility and the journey. Because I'm guessing maybe 18-year-old John might not have had the same experience or wisdom or knowledge of 18-year-old Sean at that point in order to give that those six words. And the same with the coaching, the same. So we're on a journey and we're asking that question, but our answers to that question can also evolve and change as we are learning and growing. Yeah. Ego can, ego, ego can be such a de- detriment and get, get in the way. And I think most of us who've been on earth for a while, there's ex- exceptions, obviously, but you know, when you're younger, when I, I, I'll just speak for myself when I was younger, um, my ego uh, had more of a, a place in my quiver. And the older you get, you know, you realize you're not the best, the smartest. Uh, uh, that, that, you know, that's why your 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 25th high school reunion is so much funner than your fifth. You know, when you're <laughs> fifth high school reunion, everybody's trying to show uh, what a beautiful partner they've married and how gorgeous their kids are, how much money they've made. And by the 25th, after a couple of divorces and uh, getting fired <laughs> from jobs and some medical issues. Uh, people tend to drop the ego, drop the the posture and pretense, and and become more authentic. And um, I think that's that's definitely a part of the journey is time on Earth. Uh, but not everybody uh, recognizes that, and we all know people who uh, you know can hang on to that ego, or that's power driven, or money driven, or whatever. Uh, yeah. Nothing wrong with power and money. Not not saying that at all. Uh, but ultimately, leadership is not about those things. It's it's about service to others. Absolutely. We're talking with John Buford and Sean Georges. The book is On Mission, Your Journey to Authentic Leadership. And we're nearing the end of our time. And I've got another, I've got actually 15 more questions. I can't ask them, but I do want to ask you, where can we connect with you? Where do we find the book? Anything else you want to point us towards? Thank John. you. Um, the easiest way to find us is to go to our website, which is onmissionleaders.com. Um, there are places there to contact us, uh, our admin site, or contact us individually by email. Um, our book is best found on onmissionbook.com. Uh, it's a splash page. It also has links uh, with the website and vice versa. Uh, that's the easiest way to get in touch with us. And our, our book is out there everywhere. Uh, Amazon, Audible, ebook, um, everywhere. So I, we're pretty easy to get in touch with. We have pretty good social media presence on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, we're very discoverable in that space as well. All right. Well, we'll get all those links in the show notes and encourage you listeners uh, connect with Sean and John. You want to get a copy of this book. It's fantastic. So listen, as we wrap up our time together, and we've got just a very few minutes left here, uh, like I think four minutes, final question I want to ask is later in the book, uh, you make a recommendation that one of the, the best ways to learn or a way to learn anyway to lead is by actively following. And I love the notion. Could you walk us through, unpack briefly, what is active following? You know, one of the things that the military does very well they don't hand you, oh, you want to be a general? Okay, here you go. You can start off as a, as a general, civilian world. Here, you can be CEO. Is that the job you want? Okay, right? You have to work your way through there. Now, part of the value of that journey, sometimes structured, well-structured, sometimes poorly structured, is that, and you may not even be aware of it, but you start off following you start off without authority, without official authority, without uh, experience, et cetera. That is exactly where you need to not just be responding to orders, but but 
you know, the most valuable part of, of my own leadership journey was in discerning what I responded to. Now, I will react to pain. <laughs> I will react to someone in my face yelling at me, right? I will react to those kinds of things. I will react to rough treatment. But if if you want my response and my commitment and you want to build loyalty and you want everything I've got, well, then set an example for me. Show me how to behave and act that is aspirational. Uh, find, uh, engage with me as a human being with a little bit of dignity and respect, and you've got me. Involve me, uh, and I will bring all of my stuff. And so from following, I think I have learned more from those who abused authority or chose not to lead yeah. than or at least as much, some super valuable lessons about leading when I was following. So the key is to pay attention. It's a part of the journey. And, and what you react and respond to is, because we are kind of, human beings are kind of wired alike. So uh, in any event. Every some, leader uh, that we have is, is particularly the ones that maybe aren't making those choices yeah. are some of the best textbooks we'll ever have if oh. we choose to pay attention. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's the active part. It's not just following. It's reflectively considering Absolutely. paying attention as you're following. And sometimes resolving. I will never. I will never do that. <laughs> I will never do that. Okay. I tell you, every effective leader I think I have ever met has that story. I yeah. ran into this. I will never do that. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You, le you learn at least as much, unfortunately, by being led poorly than being led well. Uh, probably my most acute lessons were the lessons that what you just said, Dave, is I'm, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to make someone feel like he or she just made me feel, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah. The book is On Mission, Your Journey to Authentic Leadership. The authors we've been talking with, John Buford, Sean Georges. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being guests on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you, Dave. Thank it's been you. a real you know, you're welcome. And it's been a pleasure for us. So listeners, so many takeaways. One I'm, I'm walking away with, I hope you will too, is to ask and look for that next step by asking yourself, what is my best and highest role in service to this person and team in alignment with our mission? Find the answer to that question day by day and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.